This week on The Other Kind Radio, Peanuts follow-up, HBO's wonderful news, why award shows make no sense, we got a birthday boy in the house, all that and then some headed your way. Today is November 24th, 2020, and this is episode 102. here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the podcast known as The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind, the Other kind Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in which Todd and Jeff ping pong around all things pop culture and deliver to you, the kind listener. The other. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Todd will be on shortly. Before we get too far into this pop culture curry, we encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe to The Other Kind Radio. By doing so, you are helping feed the algorithm the that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. This episode of The Other Kind Radio is brought to you in part by Pub 134. Pub 134 is a cozy pub located in Maple Village at 90th and Maple, right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, I've been to a lot of pubs throughout my stay on this giant ball of mass in Pub 134 is by far one of my favorites. Cold beverages, smooth conversation, and some of the best bartenders here in the Big O. Go to pub134.com or check them out on Instagram at pub134omaha, Instagram at pub134omaha. Just make sure you stop by and visit them today. Pub134, sometimes the kitchen sink isn't what you think it is. All right, let's continue on with my podcast partner. He is a family generator, film school graduate, movie maker, guitar and drum player, book author, dive bar boombox founder, and all around a renaissance man live from his studio in the great state of Texas and delivering the pop culture significance of the number 102. Please welcome Todd. Hi, kids. Hi, Jeff. I brought the kids back for you. I, I appreciate that. You know, I'd, I'd miss the kids. And considering that the thing about my intro that makes me most uncomfortable is the family generator portion. Not not that I didn't help to generate one. It's just somehow there's, there's something kind of intrusive about saying he's a family generator. Well, <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Uh, so having the kids there, I guess it kind of feels right. It's, I'll think about that. I might need to re. I think it's the thing I'm most jealous of you about is that you have generated a family. You know, there are times I'd give you my kid. <laughs> but if you need me to change that, I'll change it. I'll be more than happy to do it. Jeff, have you ever known me to really be that worried about something <laughs> like that? Even the things that make me uncomfortable make me go, okay, I kind of like that. I've never been afraid of those things that make me uncomfortable. So here we are, the number 102. Now, to be quite fair, there are not a lot of referential things for 102, so I'm going to use kind of our trope, which is 02. Okay. And we're going to go in the way, way, way back machine and look at what happened to this country culturally in the year 1902. Man, and we wouldn't believe it, but there are actually some things that are interesting. Number one, on January 3rd of 1902, the first college football bowl game was played at the Rose Bowl between Michigan and Stanford. Wow. In 1902. Yes, in 1902. That was the first Rose Bowl game. So have you ever watched that footage? I mean, when we'll have like, you know, the not framed uh, accurate football footage where it looks like they're running 800 miles an hour because it was they really shot eight frames and they transferred up 24 frames. But I kind of want to go back in the way back machine and watch them run around in leather helmets and see if it was quite as violent as the game we know today. I thought they had to really run that fast back then. I mean, there were dinosaurs and I, I won't, I mean, like I watched you. Jurassic park. Well, <laughs> very good, Jeff. I won't lie to you that when I, when I went to school, 
Um, now, look, I knew that something was happening with the footage back then, but one of the first things they taught us in film school was, all right, a crystal sync generator is was attached to the camera that keeps the 24 frames per second moving exactly accurate. Hmm. Okay. And then they start talking about what can happen. Do you know what happens if we take eight frames per second, but then project it at 24? I'm like, uh, eight at 24. Well, you get that. Hey, everybody's moving very fast ah. like it, because it's not accurate to it. You're, you're moving it ahead. And the same thing, whenever you shoot more frames and then put it at 24, it, you get slow motion. And there's your film school lesson for the day. But I did. That is, that is, see, I never knew that. So not only is it impressive to actually learn something, but, um, so the same thing must have carried over to the first handheld home camera recorders because everybody remembers their, their uh, the first or everybody remembers. I remember that some of the early home shot footage, right? Those that were, were had the means to buy right. a home video camera kind of had the same thing, right? They, they, they were out of, I Adam guess. Wow. Huh? Now it's, it, here's the thing. You can shoot at eight frames per second. It's the same as that your phone isn't, you know, for the longest time is not an accurate 30 frames per second, which, you know, here, here we're really going to screw people's heads. Right. Film is 12, 24 frames per second. TV is 30. Unless then you start talking about high def, in which point we get into 60 frames and all that kind of stuff. But home stuff like that was usually around eight frames per second, but it was not accurate. And therefore the problem is not if you, if you go to someone and you say, this is shot at home it's approximately eight frames per second. Then what they can do is when they transfer it now, especially there are things where you can say eight frames per second transfer to 24 and it will add in three additional frames for each one so that it smooths it out. It looks a little more like it's in real time, but it's whenever you start saying, Hey, just transfer this 24 frames per second. And it goes, and you look like you're running the bases in about three seconds. And how many frames per second does it take for the human eye to be fooled and think, in fact, that it's something in motion? You know, I actually knew that at one time. That I think that was a test question. I don't remember. 15. Is it? That's right. That and, is right. And that's why they went for 30 or 24. They wanted to double it to make it a little bit more. But. I, this is great. Uh, let's just talk about this the entire time. Screw the rest of the stuff. <laughs> so um, how many fields per frame in television broadcasting? Because it is you're not just seeing one image per frame. How many fields are you seeing? Well, there's Field of Dreams. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. That was good, Jeff. Thank you. How many How many fields are we seeing? Two. You get two fields per frame. So you technically, even when you're watching 30 frames per second, regular standard def television, you're seeing 60 images, but that's where we get the oh. marrying of different lines of resolution. You get one, then the other, and it's happening so quick that they look like they're together, but the information at that time could not be pushed out at once. I love it. Yeah. So there we go. That is film television broadcast nerddom. Let's talk now about wireless telephones. Nathan Stubblefield demonstrated for the first time a wireless telephone in Kentucky in, on January 3rd of 1902. The same day as the Rose Bowl was the first wireless telephone ever demonstrated. Do you think all his neighbors were listening to his phone conversations just like we did when, when those wireless phones first came out? Did you ever do that growing up? I never did. Now you're making me paranoid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could, um, <clears throat> well, depending upon the brand and everything, this is the early, early days where you uh, had the antenna, the, the metal antenna that you would extend. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then if you ever wanted to make a point, you would try to push it back into the phone very quickly, but then you would do it at the wrong angle and break the antenna off, and then you wouldn't have your phone. But yes, you could actually, I think it was over radios for sure. Um you could hear or you could pick up your uh your own wireless phone and hit the flash button repeatedly and it would pick up any others that were on the same channel because you know back in that day they were like oh, let's send them all to channel b bob yeah yeah so you could listen to and it obviously was a horrible thing to do and i'm guilty of it but i never really heard anything cool it was more just like yeah tuesday dinner that sounds great it was never like what i wanted it to be was like i think we should take out jeff <laughs> Wow. <laughs> All right, let's continue on with O2, March 10th of 
A circuit court decision ends Thomas Edison's monopoly on 35-millimeter film, uh, film technology. Mm. I mean, you, you think about that. That's so weird that really just 100 years ago, a little over 100 years ago, we were just figuring this whole thing out that now seems like it's been part of the world forever. But I mean, he was he was messing with 35 millimeter. 30, the, the 35 millimeter, for those that don't understand, talks about the size of the actual film. And it's from Sprocket Sprocket, the, the information that passes beyond the lens. And Edison at that time, it was considered to be his property, but quickly that was not the case. Hmm. Now with movie news, also in April of that year, the Electric Theater was the first movie theater to open in the United States in Los Angeles, California. Wow. Electric meaning, I think before they had theaters, but it was a hand crank that well, advanced. The, 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 the name of the theater is the electric. I'm not sure oh. if it, it was <laughs> saying that it was an electric. Right. It wasn't. Yeah, it was just it was just the name. I like it. Hey, I do have a question for you. So 35, you hear people people shooting on, what is it, 8 millimeter? Then, 8, 16, 35, 70 are usually the standard. So obviously the, the size of the, the, the frame helps mm -hmm. come up with a calculation of how far the projector needs to shoot the image onto the screen. But, but I'm getting, I'm once again, I'm getting away from my, my question, which is why did 30, why did they settle on 35 is the most kind of the most common to use? So it's not about the, the distance from the screen. That is 100% the, the size of the film strip itself. Oh. Um, so there, there's a lot of things where we could go into film talk. <laughs> Obviously, 8mm, really what you're getting into more is about the amount of grain on the film that allows for exposure for a good picture. 70mm oh. cameras are used, and that's why you'll see in a lot of the epics like David Lean would create that they're shot in 70 millimeter and it, you know, it's a, it's it, now we see IMAX that's even bigger than 70. Right. And you get into the fact that there's so much, such a deep green on that film that it's image is just stunning. It's, it has more information to provide. It's like high def compared to standard def. I, if I, if I remember correctly, and anybody out there that's a film nerd that can, Tell me I'm wrong, please do. I, if I remember correctly, the reason we went and sort of standardized 35 millimeter was for the simple fact that it's cameras and projectors are much more manageable. Really, when it comes down to a business front, it is a 35 millimeter camera you can easily put on your shoulder if you want to handhold. Uh, it's big, but you can do it. A 70 gets bigger and uh, the projector as well. Now, you want to talk about a projector that will eat a building. An IMAX projector is enormous. That makes so. <clears throat> well. First of all, thank you for correcting me on my my wrong knowledge there, because actually now it makes sense uh, as to why. And yeah, absolutely. Not only not only the manageability, if that's a word, of the camera and the film, but the cost. I'm sure. The, yeah, the cost of a 70 millimeter was just you know much more than 35. Uh, that's really interesting. And I remember now that you've brought that up, it's like some movies, <clears throat> I can't remember, and I'm sure you might come up with it. There was a movie that was shot on eight millimeter that was really grainy. And mm -hmm. that was like what they wanted. I think certain parts of even um, of Saving Private Ryan were shot with some extra grainy kind of film. Well, that's him choosing different film stocks. So you uh, can... This is really where you get into the nerddom of it. So let's say you're shooting 35 millimeter. Right. Well, there are different exposure film stocks. You get into how much it, it really, the, the numbers and all the different things, I won't get into them, tell you how much light is needed to expose that film in a certain thing. Well, you then begin to look at oh. the footage from World War II that we're all used to was most likely shot 16 millimeter, and I would guarantee that they were the handheld cameras that news reporters used that did not have crystal sync generators. So they were that footage that didn't run accurately at 24 frames per second. So they went and looked and said, what film stock could we get this 35 millimeter yet? The grain is close to what that was on that 16 millimeter. So it has that very look. Yeah. And you can start that. That is part of where I will back Mr. Spielberg's, you know, argument that shooting in high def is not, the art that it is shooting on film because you really can with film stock create an image that is a certain image now 
you can replicate that with high def through filters and whatnot, but it's not the same. So that, I mean, there's a, that's a huge discussion. That's awesome. And how good would we be as dueling professors in a, in a, in a college course on film? Cause then what I could do is just introduce each new chapter with a false claim. And, (laughs) And then you'd be like, well, actually film isn't made out of unicorn tears. Um, so oh, wait, it is. Hang, hang, whoa, whoa, whoa. It is a unicorn tears, hundred percent. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. That's fascinating stuff. Please continue. Well, and then you know that, that's another thing, and this is where if my wife here should be like, stop. No one cares, Todd. But you you talk film stocks, and then you talk <laughs> lenses on top of it, and the lens and what it does to the film is that's where people like Spielberg are just fascinating. That man as a director can say, hey, I'm thinking. What if we use this lens? And the the DP's like, okay, I think that's great. And he understands what that focal link is going to do and how it's going to expose the film. Wow. Look, Spielberg, the dude, holy shit. He's just, pardon my language, he is the man. Back to 1902, because I got two more things sure. I want to hit upon. Number one, on the fronts of uh, Aw, a newspaper cartoon inspires the creation of the first teddy bear in November of 1902. So, and that's obviously linked to Theodore Roosevelt, who also has a note here of being the first president to ride in an automobile. Wow. That kind of shocks me. Yeah. However, the one that touches my heart more than all this film discussion, July 17th of 1902, Willis Carrier devises air conditioning for the first time. Thank you, Mr. Carrier for those of us who are incredibly warm natured for fixing that issue. That's 1902. That's Oh two. I would go to 2002, but trust me, there ain't much there that you don't know. And you're that interested in. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Todd. I just want to, I just want to be a fly on the wall when he came up with the term air conditioned, like air cooling, air, air manipulated manipulated air and then he's went with now nah, we'll call it air conditioned it is conditioned air uh, that's probably it they probably it was like how how can we really sound important it right. can't be cooling device cooler right it has to be conditioner this air is going to enter your house under one condition <laughs> <laughs> it will be cooler all right thank you so much todd that is fantastic. And we, we you know, I, every week we're like, oh, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? And it's right there. We should talk more about that. Cause that's, I mean, how many people haven't seen, you know, old TV shows or, or news footage and been wondering why they're walking around, you know, l- like they're a million miles an hour. And then now, and now, you know, and knowing according to GI Joe is half the battle. Ding. Ding. All right. Speaking of dings, uh, we're going to do kind of some follow-up here in our headlines, uh, one of which I think we should just go ahead and take uh, credit for. For those kind listeners uh, that remember, it wasn't too long ago that Todd and I were talking about <clears throat> the fact that the Thanksgiving Peanuts um, movie, it's a great Halloween, it's a super Halloween it's a 35 mil, mil, millimeter Halloween special that had been on for years, or the Great Pumpkin Patch, or whatever it is, uh, was purchased by Disney and was not going to be uh, broadcast this year. And we made some phone calls. Um, <laughs> no, we didn't. Anyway, uh, it looks like Apple has had maybe a change of heart there and 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 going to change things up from what we thought was going to make it unavailable to viewers is now going to be viewable. So according to reports that came out, a, a huge outcry from viewers who are accustomed to annually seeing this on network TV came into Apple. They tried to appease that by saying, we're going to give it free on our streaming service for a few days. That didn't stop it. And online petitions came out and look, Apple who is widely loved um, people look past a lot of the stuff that goes on with Apple because they love it so much. They, they got a ding in their armor and it was a pretty big one. So they turned to PBS and they are establishing now that on the holidays of which the Charlie Brown specials are based, they will show it on PBS 
prior to that holiday. So we, we recently on November 22nd got the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. And if you're wanting to know, check your PBS listings for the time, December 13th, you will get a Charlie Brown Christmas. And from what I'm reading here in the variety release, that will be the case going forward. So we don't have to worry. We're going to get our peanuts for free. Peanuts for free. And I'm uh, checking the very bottom of the article and it says, uh, that it's going to follow all of that up with a new series uh, called Charlie Bound Buys an iPhone, uh, <laughs> which I think is then followed up by uh, Charlie Brown Gets a, a Mac. Uh, so I, I guess it's kind of trading there. I mean, if Charlie Brown's going to get an iPhone, maybe Linus will. Not the kid with the blanket, though, because you need two hands to operate your phone. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. We got some other good news, and you actually brought this up. I was scouring the headlines before uh, we started recording, and I was glad to see this. HBO has some wonderful news when it comes to the uh, upcoming release of a superhero movie. So there's no other way to say it them bowing to the pressure of people wanting content to consume and in this day of the covid issue which you know look the good news is they're starting to say with a vaccine and we can all distance through the holidays maybe around may we can get back to a quote-unquote normal life however warner brothers has been holding on to wonder woman 1984 the sequel uh, directed by patty jenkins of her own film the initial wonder woman and they were holding off on it and wanting to know what they could do to release it in theaters so if you're wondering why is that so important it's all money that's a hundred percent it uh, you're going to make more infinitely more money by asking people to come pay and sit in a the theater consume popcorn tell their friends about it so they'll come and you know rinse and repeat and what they have decided to do is rather groundbreaking. Now, there are a lot of people out there in the quote-unquote industry that are, oh, this is going to kill them, or they're the ones that are saying this is kind of genius, which their decision was this, that on the same day, which is uh, December 16th, they're going to premiere Wonder Woman theaters, and right after that on Christmas Day, they're going to make it available on their service, HBO Max. Now, why is this genius for them? You're going to get people to go into the theaters and talk about this film. Most likely, it's going to be a huge success for them uh, critically because the first one was so well-received, such a landmark achievement in the narrative of female storytelling. You're going to get people talking when they go into it. Then on Christmas Day when people get TVs for Christmas, mm -hmm. when they're looking and they have a little extra change, they're going to sign up for HBO Max and they're going to be able to watch this movie at home at no additional cost. Now, this is different from when Disney Plus decided to release Mulan and you had to pay for it. Even though you had Disney Plus, you still had to pay for it. I don't have a problem with that. That's the way they want to release it. That's their material. They can do it however they want. This is a strategy that basically says, we want you to see this film. Yeah. So this is pretty groundbreaking. There's always been an actual industry standard, and I believe it was 90 days from the point of which a film was released in theaters to when it could be released in some version at home. There was a 90-day cushion so it can make its box office. Um, the, we should get used to this fact. One thing COVID I think is going to change drastically is this very thing. We're not going to have this idea that somehow now that people have been forced to just consume media at home, that they're going to go back to the old model, which is I don't want to go sit in a sticky theater and listen to Jeff eat his nachos. And I, <laughs> I want to sit in my home with this nice little mini theater system I've created and just consume it the way I want. So we're going to see models that are derivatives of this. And you'll probably end up paying for that film when you watch it at home, but then you'll get some thing like they did with Mulan, where if you, you pay for it here, you get to own it there. So huge, huge thing. Now, the last thing I'll throw in is that the director, Patty Jenkins did offer a release, which I, I'd never really read any conjecture from other people, but boy, when I watched it, she did not seem like a happy woman with this mm. decision. A lot of these directors, you know, they really believe that their films are cinematic creations and deserve to be seen in the cinema. Now she, what she said was akin to, you know, we're so excited for you to finally get to see our film. We love it. We hope you'll see it in the theater the way it's meant to be intended is kind of what she said. So 
it's going to take a while to get these filmmakers to kind of come on board with this idea that the uh, paradigm has shifted for them. You know, there, there's a couple things that, that I thought of while you went through that so eloquently. Um, I mean, if you think about the history film, and again, remember, I've been wrong like 85 times already, and it's not even 8 o'clock. Um, that, I mean, film was born out of entertainment, right? And for so long, it's been, you know, we want to, we just want to entertain. We want to bring smiles to the faces of women and children. And they did. And then, the, you know, the only way to really watch their creations were on these big giant screens. Well, then it became a business, which is fine. And lots of lots of money was made off of it. And now things have changed. And I would think, <clears throat> excuse me, there would be somebody along the way during this pandemic that said, look, let's not forget our roots. We got where we are today and as wealthy as we are today under the guise of entertainment and bringing art and culture to the masses. I'm glad to see this. I'm, I'm sorry that the director seems to be a little off put by it, but I know that, you know, this kind of thing right here, Christmas day, so many families, so many individuals are not going to be where they normally would be. They're maybe not in the same financial stance as they are and or you know their life has changed so having a little ray of sunshine and saying well at least i can go and rent this or or get an hbo max subscription and be able to watch it i think that's i think that's good things are going to get back to normal at some point but i think the impression that the industry could have made the goodwill that could have been shared is a lost opportunity because i think at the same time, when things do get back to normal, I'm using air quotes, they're going to remember that, that money still seemed to be the, the common denominator when it came to deciding what kind of entertainment was sent out. Now, I know it's not all rain clouds and, and, and you know bad news, but I just think there was a missed opportunity here to really just kind of, after all these years of just record-breaking profits and box office margins and everything to say, you know what, we're going to give back a little bit. I think that the movie industry to that point, and, yeah. and you, you, you pointed me down a path that I think is so apparent when you look at the history of <clears throat> cinema, as opposed to home entertainment cinema. I, I'm here's, here's history lesson. 1.12 <laughs> film history. So cinema comes out and its image is when we look at aspect ratios. And what I mean by that is, is it a square or like when we watch movies that are widescreen, you know, right. our TV now are widescreen, you still may get the letterbox. And the reason is they created a wide image and it doesn't fit the reason that happened. So originally cinema was one, three, three to one, meaning for every 1.33 inches wide it went up one inch so that's where you got that kind of square image when you watch citizen kane citizen kane considered to be a landmark film in the achievement of filmmaking is a square image it looks like tv it is square it is not letterboxed huh because letterbox had not been created at that time the reason letterbox came about is because another square came out and that was television television was one three three to one when it came out, the industry looked and said, we got to have a way to differentiate ourselves. And you began to have widescreen. They began, here's the crazy thing. When you're watching widescreen, they're, they're putting effectively map boxes over it and just framing for it. The image is not any bigger. It's just, they project it that way. So they do that. Then when, and, and I may be getting my correlation incorrect, but this is kind of how it works. So they go widescreen television gets more popular and becomes color. So they become movies add in 3d then whenever the next ad advent right. comes which is something then they become super cinescope so movies were always reactive to what television was doing and those advancements that now seem part of just what film is were usually reactions to that so what cinema has to realize is this time instead of going bigger we need to get better and we need to be better about giving the content it's they're going to have to react because COVID has changed the fact that I can consume what I want when I want, right. period. I don't want to be forced to go to a theater. I don't want to be forced to do these things. Now, maybe I will enjoy some of that again. Maybe I won't, but they have to do that. Now, the last thing I want to throw in is I all, I all but guarantee you 
that we are going to see one of the big things about HBO Max is that it's not available. It was not available on Fire TVs, which is Amazon's system. Oh. It was also not available on Roku. Well, they recently worked at the Fire. I am all but guaranteeing you that you will see this available on Roku before Christmas. Can you? Because if you can only imagine the people that get a TV for Christmas, oh, yeah. Roku, I, what do you mean I can't watch Wonder Woman? You know, they're going to get that stuff fixed. So it, this just we're figuring out the early days of mass consumption. We think we have mass consumption. We don't understand what it is wow. until this moment. This is changing everything. That that's really well put, and I and I like the idea of mass consumption, it just being the tippy top, you know, of the ice of the iceberg. We don't know it yet. It's mass compared to what it used to be thirty years ago, but that doesn't mean that it's the same definition. That's great. All right, and, we, and this next topic. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate all of that information. Um, this next topic, I promise we will keep a short amount of time on. But I did see this, and I did think of you. And I think I giggled for at least a solid half hour. And then, you know, in the end, I, I brought it up to you this morning just to see if you wanted to go through. But, you know, we, you know, I, I as we try to talk pop culture, um, you know, I, I, I'm constantly looking like, well, why didn't we talk about this? Why didn't we talk about this? And uh, this one, I'm kind of glad that we didn't get really in, invested in. But recently, there was the People Choice Awards, and I made the mistake of looking through. Now, I want to preface that winners and losers and all of this, it, we're putting on our film critic hats, our 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 pop culture uh, measurement socks. Uh, you know, these are all people that are working, making a living. You know, so we get that. And this is no way is a judgment of them personally. However, <laughs> would you like to go through some of the People Choice Awards with me, Todd? <laughs> I'd love to. And if and if I can say this, I, I saw that this news came across that they had these awards, and everyone that has stuck with us through 101 previous episodes knows how much I hate award shows. Um, um, amongst those that I hate, there is none I hate more than the People's Choice Award because. If I if we give people choice people's choice awards, and we went to Mc I'm God I'm getting ahead of myself and if we went to <laughs> burger places they would choose McDonald's you know and we right. all know that's not the best hamburger out there but that's how this would work right so when Jeff said it I thought fine I'll look now I stopped after one award because I was like what the beep <laughs> so I want to be fair right up top they kind of give lifetime achievement awards so let's be very fair to the people's champion goes to Tyler Perry and look. I'm not a Tyler Perry <laughs> fan, but I do know what that man has built. Yeah. I do know what he's done. I do know what a good person he is. So kudos to him. Fashion icon award goes to Tracy Ellis Ross. Okay. People's <laughs> icon goes to Jennifer Lopez. Okay. Beyond that, let's, let's go down a list and kind of look at these. And I've only seen one of them. Yeah. If you want to read them and I can react or you sure. want to. I was just going to go down the, the pop culture uh people choice awards since we are a pop culture podcast and it, it does get into uh it does it does get into um movies and some other things so um the first one i'm trying to uh get back here i'm having to hit the back button um is a social star of 2020 emma chamberlain i i think she has a podcast and i think that's why she won that one but i'm not too aware of that Beauty influencer of 2020, James Charles. It might I know be, who that is because my daughter loves it. I was going to say your daughter might know who that is. Social celebrity, uh, Andrea, Andrea, Andrea Grande beat out Britney Spears, Bieber, Kyle Jenner, Lady Gaga, and Selena Gomez and LeBron James. Welcome to the show where we've mispronounced names. But my favorite, my favorite category I've seen so far is the animal star of 2020. Winner, Tiger King, Doug the Pug. <laughs> what? They're real pets. Oh my god! <laughs> so it's this pug with this crazy look on his face. So congrats yeah. to Doug the Pug. If future societies come along and wonder where our culture fell apart, <laughs> it'll be in in the 2020 People's Choice Awards when Doug the Pug 
Ariana Grande <laughs> and Ella, the influencer person, all were in the same list. Right. Right. Can I touch on a couple of the movie things? Because literally this is where I went, oh my God, are, were you getting there? Uh, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm moving through. Okay. okay. okay so let's start out. I, I was right. The podcast of the year, which, you know, ladies and gentlemen, feel free to nominate the other kind radio for the People's Choice Awards. Then we'll sing the praises. This is the best award show ever. Uh, it was Ember, Emma Chamberlain. She has a podcast, so that's why she won those awards. Okay, let's get to movie of 2020. Uh, you have Birds of Prey, Hamilton, Invisible Man, Trolls World Tour, The Old Guard, Project Power, Extraction, and Bad Boys for Life. So I, I, I look at this list. First <laughs> off, the fact that this list <laughs> has... A Pulitzer Prize winning play turned into a film that becomes a pop culture beyond iconic landmark up against now one good film in here. And I, and I saw it, the invisible man really well done statement film, taking an old property, but up against bad boys for life, bad boys for life and eventually losing to bad boys for life. <laughs> That was whenever I, when Jeff said, let's look at this. I was like, I, I'm stopping. I can't look at this list anymore <laughs> because if you need to make this argument that we somehow need to put a trophy on something, right? this is what's wrong with people who watch stuff. If you think that bad boys for life <laughs> is a better piece of entertainment and art that says something and teaches you something you are effing wrong you're <laughs> stupid and i'm just saying it and if you're listening to this podcast loved you glad you're here you're wrong yes. but if you're on this podcast you're probably on the wrong podcast or oh right my god or write us or at right. info at the other kind radio and tell us why todd's wrong and i'm wrong because i say the only thing i thought when i saw the commercials for bad boy for life was i knew that i wasn't going to go see it all right, let's move from movie of the year to comedy movie of the year. One more thing, if I can oh, throw it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Lin Manuel Miranda knew he had made it when he also looked on this list and saw that he that his creation of Hamilton, what eight years of creation, yeah. was up against Trolls World Tour. <laughs> he knew at that point. He's like, I've done it. I'm right. up against the trolls. I've done it. Please We're, move on to comedy. All right, comedy movies are up for the People's Choice Awards. Bill and Ted face the music. Your Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. <clears throat> Hint, let's we could shorten it there, little folks. Uh, like a Boss, The King of Staten Island, Kissing Booth 2, The Lovebirds, The Wrong Missy, To All the Boys. P.S. I Still Love You. And your winner was? The winner was one of the worst movies that I've ever seen in my life because I watched it with my daughter who told me, Dad, no, really, I get that Joey King was in that thing where she played the little girl whose mom did the whole bear, Munchausen by proxy thing. Really, she's bad in The Kissing Booth, too. And I'm telling you right now, oh, my God, it is one of the – you will watch that and you're like, wait, but that character said this just 15 minutes ago. Now they're doing this because it allows for a cute moment. It is awful awful so I, this tells you that most likely no offense this is the little girls voting on this that's right. all this is anytime a movie the second movie comes out when you didn't know there was the first one that's an indicator of bad news when i was like because i think it was netflix oh the kissing booth too i'm like there was one it's almost like battlefield 2 battlefield earth 2 it's like well uh, there was the first one all right let's uh continue to move on action actually we like action movies action movie of the year Already with one win, Bad Boys for Life, Birds of Prey, Bloodshot, Extraction, Mulan, Project Power, Tennet, and The Old Guard. And your winner was? For action movie, Mulan. What the F is going on with this? <laughs> How is Mulan the action movie of the year? If I'm going to jump ahead and give an award to Bad Boys for Life, I might go, okay, your homogenized action where people, hey, I can't watch a musical because people are singing yet. I can watch Bad Boys for Life where they spew out so many bullets and they have so many immediate quips when somebody falls on their car and it's just absolute inane crap. 
I give it to Action Movie of the Year for Bad Boys for Life. But instead, I'd like to give it to Mulan. Mulan. I, I don't understand. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So we're moving from action to drama. And 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 keep the faith, because I think you might be a little happier here. The movies nominated are Dangerous Lies, Greyhound, Hamilton, I Still Believe, The High Note, Invisible Man, The Photograph, and The Way Back. So as happy as I'd like to be, because I'm going to tell you that Hamilton won this, and, you know, yay, it won for the People's Choice Award. How is this even a relevant discussion of what's best within entertainment when Hamilton is up for drama? And then what was the other one with the movie, just movie. How can the same film be up for two different categories? So is it you, when you win family movie, movie action movie, then you get elevated up to the movie of the year yet bad boys for life. Didn't win. And it's, it's singular category. This is so stupid. <laughs> All right. We'll, uh, we'll go through a few more and then we'll get, we'll get to our main topic. I'm just kind of working ahead uh, there. Uh, we'll skip family movie, uh, male movie star of 2020, uh, Chris Helmsworth, Jamie Foxx, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Mark Wahlberg, Robert Downey Jr., Tom Hanks, Vin Diesel, and Will Smith. Your winner, Will Smith. I like, I am one of the few people in the world that doesn't like Will Smith. He's, he's one of those actors. Uh, and you know what? Fine. I'll even put Robert Downey Jr. to an extent that is the same in every role that he's in. Right. You know, even when he's in the movie about the concussions in the NFL, you can still see it's the same ticks. There's nothing to his performance. You, and if you want to say, then let's give it to an African American guy. Jamie King is infinitely better yeah. as an actor. Give it to him. Right. Um, uh, female, <laughs> female movie star went to Tiffany Haddish, uh, beating okay, beating out Sharice Theron. And Camila Mendez and Elizabeth Moss, uh, which I guess, you know, there's there's just a just a wee bit of acting difference between those little uh, drama movie star of 2020 goes to Lynn Manuel Mary Miranda, uh, beating out Ben Affleck, Elizabeth Moss, uh, Russell Crowe, Tom Hanks. I, you know, OK, so it looks like the kids are, are voting a little bit barely there. Uh huh. Comedy movie star of 2020, <laughs> David Spade. I didn't even know he still had anything going on or a movie. He doesn't. Uh, Issa Rae, Keanu Reeves, because, oh, it's Bill and Ted's. That's why he's up for this. Um, Pete Davidson, Will Ferrell, Selma Hayek, okay, and Noah Centineo. And, I mean, you loved her in Kissing Booth 1. <laughs> she's back in kissing booth too. joey king joey king is fan is a fantastic actress and and i for whatever reason i can't think of it but the and it's on hulu she's with patricia arquette where she plays a young woman whose mother manipulates her with the munchausen by proxy which is a parent lying about how sick their child is she's fa fabulous in that Everything she creates in that, she destroys in the kissing booth movies. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's terrible. The whole thing's terrible. All right. We're getting into some television. We'll wrap it up. But I, I did see this, and it, it made me think uh, it has a tie to our program. Drama show of 2020, Grey's Anatomy, Law and Order, Special Victims Unit, Outer Banks, Ozarks, Power, Riverdale, The Walking Dead, and This Is Us. That's a pretty good list of some television drama shows. Sure. I was shocked by the winner. Well, once again, this is children voting for this because, <laughs> you know, most likely the, the places you vote is it's online. Hey, would you like to click for it? And it's placed on all the sites they go to. Riverdale wins, which we the reason just says it has tied to it. I, I don't know what episode, but we reviewed it. Yeah. Um, the first season of Riverdale was an interesting idea where it kind of took the Archie comics and put it in more of a Twin Peaks kind of moody world. Uh, I watched that with my daughter and I thought, hey, this is interesting. By the second season, I was like, this is crap. You know, they, they, they stepped away from their, their truth and they went to more of just a soap opera. So, uh, hey, kudos to them for winning the award, but whatever. Yeah. All of those, uh, uh, all of those results are available uh, on the World Wide Web by going to PCA for People's Choice Awards dot eonline dot com. 
if you have any thoughts uh, or feedback, feel free to email us at info at theotherkindradio.com. Thank you, Todd. I know it's a little bit like going to the dentist or maybe even getting a proctology exam. Thank you for uh, suffering through that with me. But, you know, at the same breath, congratulations to the winners, you know, People Choice Awards. All right, that's going to do it for the news portion of The Other Kind Radio. Before we get into uh, our main topic today, which is the season four of The Crown, uh, we do want to make quick mention of that birthday boy in the house. Uh, I believe you celebrated it yesterday. Uh, that's Todd. Todd, tell us about your birthday. Go ahead, kids. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was actually two days ago. It was the two 22nd. days ago. Oh, okay. But I don't ever fault anybody with that because, man, it's hard to keep up with what day it is these days. You know, <laughs> when you're sitting around the house and it's like, I, I laid in bed last night thinking, um, I know I got to get up with Jeff in the morning. Is it Wednesday? <laughs> and I thought, no, it's it. No, it, it. I don't know. So yeah, it was the twenty second, my fifty fourth birthday. Oof. I mean, yay. <laughs> it doesn't bother me you know, for some reason my sister texted and said happy 56th birthday and i was like you might want to shave two off of that and at first i thought she was joking but she was not she made a mistake and for some reason when it went 56 i went wow that feels really old but 54 does, it's like whatever right, it's just right. Never, um it, it's like yeah it's like when i used to sell it's like when i used to sell jeans at uh, Banana Republic, we one of the things we were required to do was sell jeans to the ladies, and you uh-huh. always got their size and then two sizes larger, uh, and then two sizes smaller. So they kind of you were all over the gambit there, just to you know let them know that there was well, well happy birthday. That was a horrible story to tell for your birthday. Did you do any special? Did you have a special meal? Did you eat a steak? Did you go to Chuck E. Cheese? Um. You know, I, I, I'm sure that a lot of people, when you get to your fifties birthdays are kind of like, Oh, thanks everybody for telling me you love me. It's another day. Um, I, let's see the specialness of my birthday, took my daughter to her archery lesson. Nice. And then we drove down into Dallas to a restaurant called Ozona, which Ozona is really just kind of a, a nice bar type restaurant, you know, just typical, you can get burgers and whatnot. And I had a chicken fried steak. I don't eat that kind of food very often, mm. but oh my God, their chicken fried steak. Yum. Chicken. So that was it. I had a couple of beers. Um, night before I saw a friend and he brought over a little whiskey Ooh. and we partook of that. And I'm not a big whiskey drinker. So the next day I didn't feel so good, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it was just another great day. I, I, I'm privileged to have so many nice caring friends such as you. Oh, happy birthday. And, it, it, you know, we'll be in the same boat on the next episode, which will be December 8th, because my birthday is on December 3rd. So we'll, we'll, we can recount, and I'm sure the story will be very much the same. I, I got to sleep in, I had got some love, and I ate a sandwich. <clears throat> maybe, maybe some whiskey as well. Uh, well, happy birthday, Todd. Thank you so much. You don't look a day over... 40, so <laughs> you would have said day over 53 that might have you know hey it's okay although 50 yeah being told 56 and going no nah, it's 54 but i mean again we could have a whole nother episode on just what it feels like to go yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm gonna be 48 wow okay i guess that's happening i did think the funny thing when my sister did that was a, uh, it's like hey dummy if I'm 56, that means you're 60 because you're four years older than me. And I did go back to her. I said, Hey, when did you turn 60? She's like, Oh my God, did I really, I got it wrong. You're 54. Cause I know that bothers her. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. All right. Well, and a uh, uh, kind listener, feel free to send all your happy birthday wishes to info at the other kind radio.com. All right. So I know we're running uh, a little long in the tooth, uh, but we do want to take some time. We already talked about Queens gambit, which, uh, is on Netflix and continues to just dominate the charts. Um, even on twitch.com or twitch.tv, sorry, twitch.tv, uh, chess has started to show up 
in the top numbers of people watching video games. So there, it's having enough of an influence that one, people are learning how to play, and two, people are actually sitting around on their computers and watching other people play chess. Side note, I did did I did play a, a game of chess uh, on uh, the computer recently. Got my little flash of, of Queen's Gambit motivation. Folks, it was over in like six moves. And uh, let me just say, I wasn't on the right side of that tomato. Okay. I don't uh, know how to play chess. Obviously, I don't know either. So <laughs> <laughs> we could play each other and, and it would be, I'm sure it would be a very boring match. Um, but anyway, since we've already talked about Queen's Gambit, another show that's uh, right up there with it as far as popularity and worth worth bringing up um, because this show itself in the time period that this season takes place in has uh, pop culture all over it and a lot of things that I was remembered. So we'll do kind of a, an abbreviated version, but we're going to talk about season four of The Crown, which is a Netflix original. It basically follows the, the royal family uh, of the current queen. And this season picks up, and uh, or I should say starts out with Princess Diana, who, uh, especially after watching this season, uh, was, you know, just this young, innocent um, person that was kind of thrown into the royal family. And, and besides all of the marital issues and everything, just became the icon for so many. I mean, when you have uh, Sir... Elton John write a song in your passing just for you. Uh, that's I'm um, hopefully that's what he did because I don't want to be I don't want to be <laughs> wrong there. No, he didn't. When no, that was actually written for Marilyn Monroe and he just adapted it for her funeral. So but when you were close, you were really close. <laughs> when you're Marilyn Monroe and you have a song <laughs> written for you, I tell you, I got to check my facts. Anyway, very popular. Uh, had the the fairy tale wedding. Uh, just a lot to go through, and um, as much as I thought I was going to have a little tired head coming from Queen's Gambit and then kind of powering through this, actually The Crown was was really interesting. I think they did another fantastic j uh, job. Uh, before I hand it over to my podcast partner here, uh, it's, is, it, is it Gillian Anderson from from most most Americans will know, him, know her from The X-Files, who plays Margaret Thatcher. What an amazing job. Just just talent galore on this uh, this latest season of The Crown. So if you've not watched The Crown before, it takes a look at the royal family in a way that isn't just about the pomp and circumstance of the royal family. My, my good friend Jeff actually very succinctly gave me a bit of truth about this show that I was like, oh, never thought about it, but you don't have this without having Downton Abbey before. The idea that you can have, here's the veneer, of something and it, we're going to see the 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 crew behind the scenes that takes care of them well the truth is that the crown is exactly the same in that here's the royal family you think you know and we're just going to show you the family behind the scenes right um this has previously included people like claire foy uh matt smith who played the the lead characters and then what they're doing every two years is they recast those roles with older actors or not necessarily i don't know that they're that much older than the people. They just portray these people at a later time. Right. Now they've added Olivia Coleman as Queen Elizabeth, Helena Bonham Carter, who is just magnificent as Princess Margaret. And as Jeff said, Gillian Anderson comes in this time to play Margaret Thatcher, which I didn't know this until I was looking into the showrunner, Peter Morgan. They're in a relationship in, together and have been for almost five years. Mm. Gillian Anderson and Peter Morgan. So um she comes in and is stellar as Margaret Thatcher, but the season really does focus mainly on two people as the narrative thrust, and that is Margaret Thatcher and, as Jeff stated, Lady Diana Spencer, Princess Diana. Brand new presence upon the scene, Emma Corrin comes in as Diana, and what they do with this show that is just stunning to me is I, I want to point out two people yeah. Here, Josh O'Connor, who plays Prince Charles, and Emma Corrin, like I said, who plays Princess Diana. They both inhabit those people that we know well enough. We've seen enough of that we know some 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 visual ticks that they have. Uh, Princess Diana, if you go watch the footage, you always kind of roll her head like very shyly, and 
Prince Charles would roll his shoulders forward and, and almost slunch and keep his head down. They look enough like them that that's one hurdle cleared. Yeah. But they also take on those characteristics so perfectly. And what I mean by that is they don't get into a parody of it. It is not, oh, you know, Saturday Night Live, let me hunch over like Prince Charles with my ear. Now, the, the young man does have large ears, but it's not it's not buffoonery, you right. know, and they're not making fun of it. What Emma Corrin, though, is able to do is Princess Diana, to me, is stunning. Because Princess Diana, the, you know, the thing that hits me the most is how young she was. And even at that age, the grace that she was able to show right. that kind of the royal family had forgotten. You know, the, this, we are the people. And, and there's a famous moment when she goes to New York and the things that she does that you almost see the jealousy of the royal family for how she's embraced because of she's just a good person now. Right. She is not without fault. And, and as the best TV shows or movies are going to, your character that is vaulted up to the top also has a lot of crap beneath them where they're not that good of a person. So she has issues. But this show is so smart, so good. And of course, she, I'd be remiss to, to ignore Olivia Coleman as Queen Elizabeth and yeah. Tobias Menzies as Prince Philip. You, you, you can't go into the show and not go, wow, everybody's stunning. It's just... Jeff is so, so right. If you're going to go from Queen's Gambit, man, you're, you're stepping over here and you're not losing anything in quality. It's just, it's wonderful. Uh, they're, they're very well said. And there are a number of things about this show that, that again, and, and I, I, you know, full disclosure, I think I saw season one and maybe season two, but I didn't watch season three, but it, you know, being the, being a pop culture uh, you know, bite-sized fan. I'm like, well, I'll pick up season four because just because of the characters involved in Princess Diana and everything, and and a lot of it, um, you know, being a little younger, I w wasn't at the forefront, but I do remember, you know, them being married and it, you know not being the best marriage. But the things that really that that caught me by surprise that I didn't know was about Princess Diana's bulimia, um, and I think that they handled that very well. Um, in the sense that they, you know, they didn't over glorify it. Um, and they, and they took the time to put in there that, that, you know, she was under this tremendous stress. I mean, she had just gotten engaged to Charles and then she found out that Charles had like a special, uh, bracelet made for Camilla Parker balls, balls, uh, balls sorry. Uh, <laughs> if I apologize, balls. I apologize to the Royal family. Sorry, Charles, um, call us, uh, if you want to talk. Um, but you know, um, they did a great job of kind of talking about the fact that the, one of the reasons why she became bulimic was j just the release and trying to control something in a life where she was rushed in, everything changed and the Royal family wasn't necessarily, you know, the most warmest fire to sit next to, especially with everything going on. Um, the other portion of the show that uh, that was brought up that I had forgotten about is the intruder that came uh, that broke into Buckingham Palace uh, amidst all of their very sophisticated security and basically wakes the queen up uh, and is six feet from her bed and they have this conversation before he's whisked away. I thought the way they handled that episode and giving you some perspective from the gentleman that went, you know, that broke into Buckingham Palace. Um, and again, didn't glorify it, but it at least gave you some reason. Cause you know, we hear the headlines, somebody broke in, we think it's just this horror, you know, it was obviously it was disturbing, but that the person did it for, you know, reasons to harm the queen. And really it was, it was far from it. He just wanted to have a conversation with her. Something that would be normally in some type of novel, actually you know happened and and it does show the character of the queen which is to me the interesting part how they can she can be so kind to somebody that is a complete stranger but here is her son marrying a uh, a young woman and yet there's still that wall of defense that we're royal you're not royal uh invisible uh fence that goes up between everybody um, I thought they also, my last kind of big point here is I thought another interesting, uh, element I saw was in the story, Diana's <clears throat> focus and demands to make sure that she takes care of her kids, uh, was also seen as kind of a hindrance by the Royal family. And I realized that one of the reasons why Charles and some of the other children of the queen 
uh, couldn't really understand it is those children, in fact, themselves were raised by nannies and weren't really given a lot of time with their direct parent. And so it, it, it becomes the domino effect of, well, you know, well, I wasn't raised that way, so you don't need to raise your kids that way, where Diana had quite the opposite and actually had a pretty tough childhood, but wanted this moment in her life to be the opportunity to change that, take care of her kids, love them, care for them. And in the end, I think help shaped the good boys they are uh, mm -hmm. today. I think that love and care that she gave them um, definitely had an effect in a positive way, especially what those boys have been through. You know, you bring up something that I, I think may have been sitting at the back of my mind after having finished it last night that let's go back to Jillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. And she is, she's stunning in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we've obviously seen her in the X-Files and, and things since then. And she's a great actor. It, but what she's able to do here by again, evoking your memory of who Margaret Thatcher was. Um, it's so funny because Margaret Thatcher to me is such a big presence in life that Jillian Anderson's around five, three, and you can tell in times when she's rather tiny next to people, I had to stop and go, how tall was Margaret Thatcher? She was only five, five, but you know, Margaret uh -huh. Thatcher was such a big presence. She seemed so much bigger. She gets into quote unquote battles with the queen and they have a bit of a, a, a falling out because the queen asks Thatcher to carry a bit more compassion for people. And the grand irony is the queen has none for her own son. Right. She asks Thatcher to be compassionate. And yet she can't look within herself to say, my child is miserable. Now, it, it, the interesting part of it is kind of what she says to Charles needs to be said at the same time, because right. he is being a bit of a spoiled child <laughs> and not just being an adult and handling it. But at the same time, as a parent, you have to be able to carry those lessons in equal hands. You have to be able to say, you got to quit the sniveling garbage. However, let's help you find a path to where you can be okay. Right. Um, but that's what makes this such a good show is that a character can forwardly say this is what they believe yet they can't act upon it themselves makes them an interesting true person right. it's when we're, you know when we're too noble within storytelling that it becomes it, it may be moving but you also look back and you kind of go ah come on you know right. they, they had to have stepped on somebody and hurt somebody that's the truth of it and the queen with that power does step on people and i even think that in the final moments of this season there's a conversation that occurs between, I don't even want to say what it is, but what this person says about the queen and how the world is hers, it kind of brings to truth what I just said, that you may have what you want, what you stay and what you need, but it all comes back to her. And man, oh, yeah. even when I'm watching that final moment i thought man that this is this is a showrunner that knew from the start what they want to say and over 10 episodes perfectly sum it up in that final thing stunning and i also want to bring up one more person because i, I don't want to step past aaron doherty who plays princess Anne. she doesn't get the biggest of roles right um, oh yeah the daughter the daughter of the the queen yeah Right. She's fabulous. I mean, she's just, every time she's there, she has that, it's almost like a rod is shoved up her backside and she's always this, yet you know that there's a person around that rod. She yeah. is, she's stunning in this too. The, the casting is in this is just impeccable. It really is a direction, uh, dare I say, cinematography with, with some of the shots that are in there. Uh, and again, glowing review for myself, and, and it sounds like from you. Season four of The Crown is available now on Netflix. Uh, Todd, I was—I didn't want to bounce you out of any uh, final thoughts uh, on it, other than I think we both are saying go see it. I—it's to the point that I had been telling my wife and daughter they've not watched any of The Crown, mm. and I've, I keep saying to them, guys, we got to sit in there and we got to watch it. Look, yeah, you're looking at forty episodes now, but I promise you. If you are looking for something and you've thought, I don't care about the royal family, I don't care about the royal family. I care about the royal family now. I, it makes me interested in in their story. Did your did your wife and daughter watch Dinton Abbey? 
No. Okay. Uh, well, fact, over dinner last night, I told them how you said that to me. And I said, man, I've never watched it. And my wife was like, I can't believe you've never watched it. <laughs> the, the irony of, of all that is right. my wife doesn't watch anything. So for her to kind of <laughs> challenge that, I can't believe you have watched it. I'm like, whatever. I just never got it. I, I, when it first came on, I don't recall what channel was on. And I never got to it. However, it's now officially on my radar since my yeah. dear friend Jeff said that to me. I was like, okay, I got to watch down there. I mean, no. it, it's worth, it's worth checking out for sure. All right. Well, there you go. You have episode one Oh two between your ears. We appreciate you spending this time with us. I do want to throw it over to Todd real quick before I get us out of here of any final thoughts or anything you want to share with the, with a kind listener. Uh, none other than when you see a link on a website, to vote for the people's choice awards, just say no. <laughs> Ambiguity sometimes is the best. Thank you, Todd. Do want to send a special shout out to India. We have uh, quite an audience building out there in India, so uh, we appreciate all your listens. Uh, want to congratulate all the first time listeners uh, for finding us among the plethora of podcasts that are out there. We're glad you're here. We're glad you pulled up a seat, sat back, relaxed, and listened to the show. We do value your feedback. Feel free to email us at info at com or give us a call at 214-843-1149. Well, that's going to do it. Uh, I want to thank everybody, Todd, for his time. You, the listener, for your time. We want you to maintain your safety. Stay safe. Listen to podcasts. Hope you have a good Thanksgiving. As different as it may be, remember the most important thing is uh, taking a little time, loving each other, and being kind. With that, we'll see you in two weeks, December 8th. While you're out there wandering around, just remember, the other kind radio. We are the other kind radio. The other kind radio. The other kind radio. Ha 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 